0: The conversations on this podcast are between the host and the guest, and are not directed at any member of the general public. The information is for your listening pleasure, but is not offering you any personal advice. If you have heard something that you feel may be relevant to yourself, please visit your medical practitioner or mental health provider. A quick introduction for those of you who haven't listened to the podcast before. I'm Daniel, and each week I bring you a conversation with someone who I think is inspirational or brings something inspiring to the podcast. It's about things that change or could change our lives, and that's why I called it Life Changes You. Listen to the range of topics around psychology, mental health, and inspiration, and find out how life changes you. Hello, and welcome to Life Changes You. My name's Daniel, again, another week, and uh, a great guest today, someone I've been friends with for the last couple of years that I met on Instagram, and uh, she is a grief counsellor, and she's from KG Counselling. So, hello, Karen, how are you?
1: I'm good, thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me on today.
0: Look, it's really good, and look, we did... So, today, we're going to talk about the five stages of grief, We did this about a year ago, maybe 18 months ago, on Instagram as a video, and it was so popular. We had so many comments, and so it's definitely a topic that I think people really want to know and understand, so that I guess when you are faced with someone dying or uh, even a loss of a job, a loss of a relationship, you'll understand what sort of emotions you go through and what the stages are. Yes, so Karen, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? And how you became a grief counsellor?
1: When I initially began studying to become a counsellor, you have to acquire 100 hours with real clients. So you have to get a placement throughout your studies and work with real-life patients, clients. So I started volunteering at my local hospice and as a grief counsellor. And it was really, really where my journey began. I had to go through intense training to become a grief counsellor there. And even once qualified, I ended up staying there and continued working there up until the end of last year when I was going through my own grief and wasn't able to actually continue working as a grief counsellor at that time.
0: And we're actually going to share our personal stories, I guess, along the way while we're talking but also at the end of why we think this is important because you suffered grief a year ago and I suffered grief quite quite recently. And that's another reason we thought this was an important topic to talk to people about because I just know from the grief I went through recently, all the people that I met there didn't even know about the five stages of grief and were finding it hard to understand how they were feeling. Some were feeling okay, some weren't and They were like, wow, you should be this and you should be that. And, you know, there's no 100% fit for how you should be during grief. It's a personal thing. And some people might not be affected as much as other people. And that's still okay. But we're going to talk through the different stages. And it's based on uh, the Kubler-Ross model, isn't it?
1: That's right. A lady called Elizabeth Kubler-Ross started the five stages of grief. And it all began when she was helping clients towards the end of their life. And she decided that it could become helpful with people after they've lost somebody. And so she wrote a book called On Death and Dying, and that documents as well the five stages of grief. And it's it's used quite a lot in many places that offer grief counselling and grief support to help people work through their grief and identify what stage of grief they're at because it comes and it goes and you go through all the different stages numerous times.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Look, I mean, grief is probably one of the things in life that is one of the hardest things that we usually face. And it's also, I can't remember what that scale is called in psychology, where we put it from the worst thing that could happen to us to, you know, I think it's like a hundred and or maybe 10. And I know that at the top is losing a partner or a parent and. Then under that is lots of someone else dying and then there's suicide and there's losing your job relationship. But, you know, all of us are going to face a time in our lives where we lose someone, multiple people, and we're not just going to lose one, we're going to lose multiple people. And understanding how your grief is and why your grief is the way it is. And also, I guess, understanding that it's not like, uh, you know, some people will say, And I'm not saying people say this, but, you know, you hear people go, oh, they should be over it by now. You know, and some people will never get over the grief of a lost one, of a loved one. (laughs) Some people will be able to not get over it, but adjust to it and accept it and move on quicker than other people. So it's one of those things where no one can tell you exactly what's going to happen. No one can say to you this is how it will go because we're going to go through the five stages and those five stages happen all over the place. You know, it could be that you go in the order of what's written in the book or it could be that they go all over the place. You know, you do number one, then you do number four, then you do number three, then you're back at number one. So there's there's a lot that goes into grief that I guess people just feel, you know, there are people out there who feel like they should just get on with stuff and it's not as easy as that, is it? It's
1: not so easy, no. And, Unless you've experienced loss and grief of someone that's really special in your life or a loved one, like a significant family member, then you've really got no idea what it's like to lose someone and and go through that process of grief and how it can just stop you in your tracks. And it's so debilitating grief. I didn't understand how complex it was until I lost my brother, so... It take knocks you off your feet. It really is hard. And people do expect you to go back to normal after a certain period of time because they don't understand it. And that's where the misunderstanding
0: comes in from people. And what I think is really important about you talking about this today is because you are a trained grief counsellor. And if you're, when we talk about your brother, you know, you going through such intense emotions obviously shows that it doesn't ha- matter how much training you have. You still have yeah. that part of you that has to give in to what's happening.
1: Yeah. When it came down to it, I knew all the, the right stuff that I needed to do, all the things that I need to, needed to implement and do on a daily basis in order to get me through the grief. But I, I just I wasn't able to do it. I was stuck for so long in my grief. I couldn't help myself, and I'm a trained grief
0: counsellor. Yeah. It's, it's really, really hard. Well, look, I had someone say to me when I lost my housemate, oh, you know, well, it shouldn't be so hard for you because, you know, you've trained as a counsellor, so you understand what happens. And I said, that doesn't matter at all because I've learned how to help other people, but I can't use those things on me because, well, I can, but it's not the same as actually talking to another counsellor and saying these are the things I'm going through or talking to a yeah. friend and saying, look... This is how I feel at the moment. And actually, while mm-hmm. I was reading through all the notes today on the five stages of grief, I actually realized that some of them I'm still, look, I mean, my housemate only died, uh, what, uh, about six weeks ago, but I'm yeah. still finding that I am in some of the other ones that are there. Um, and I didn't mm-hmm. realize until I reread through all these notes today that, you know, those things I thought I'd dealt with, I haven't actually dealt with yet.
1: No. And it's still early days then. Yeah. It's only six weeks since you've lost Adrian, so,
0: yeah, you know. And look, I mean, I'll just add it in here. I'd known Adrian for 25, 26 years, <clears throat> and we'd shared a house, uh, not as partners, just as friends, uh, but we'd shared a house for 22 years. So, you know, it becomes yeah. like family because you see that person every single day, and then yeah. all of a sudden they, they pass away, and it's like, oh, my God, and I'm still in the same house. So there's all I the mean, memories around me and trying to – work through those and still be able to work and do the normal things I have to do.
1: Yeah. You didn't take any much, much time off of work, did you? You just threw yourself straight back into everything.
0: Yeah, for me, like, you know, those two weeks before I took some time off because Adrian came home from hospital for a week, then he went back into hospital where he sort of went into that cancer coma. And then that week I spent, I think, three or four days of that week at the hospital and then he passed away on the Sunday and I was back at work on uh, Wednesday because, you know, I'd already taken time off before to be with him and help him and help his family. And, uh, and so then when it happened, I felt like, well, I can't really take time off because I need to keep the business running. Yeah. And, you know, even though my business partner was there and doing stuff, you you still have to be there.
1: You still have to be there and try and carry on. But this is where, grief is not recognized either as well because it's not as easy as just going back to whatever normal life is is it
0: it's really hard and I don't know if it's the same over there but I think you can have compassionate leave for three days after someone passes yeah and I mean three days really isn't long enough for uh, look uh, family members definitely but I think also for very close friends three days is like you know, you're still in the shock of it. And, you know, I had two weeks before the funeral was, so I was back at work, and then you take the day off for the funeral, which is then a day of letting out a lot of your grief.
1: Yeah.
0: And then you have the Saturday, Sunday, and then you're back at work on the Monday again. Yeah. So.
1: Expectations of what we were saying about before, people expecting you to just get over it so quickly when, It's it's not that easy, is it?
0: Well, look, probably from my point of view, I actually thought I would feel better if I went back to work.
1: Yeah. Did it help you?
0: Look, it did. I'm lucky I work in an industry where I work with people. I work with people with a disability who are compassionate and kind and funny. And so it actually did lift my mood while I was at work because I was happy there. So
1: Yeah. It helped you to cope. Yeah. And we all cope differently, don't we, so?
0: Definitely, yeah. There's no one-size-fits-all here, is there? No, there's not. All right, so shall we get on to the steps? Yep. What's our first step is denial.
1: Denial, that's the, when you first find out that the person's gone, particularly if it was a sudden death or it was unexpected at all, then, you, you just can't get your head around the fact that that person's never coming back. You're in complete and utter denial and you're like, no, they're going to walk through that door any minute. They're going to ring me. They're going to yeah. come. I'm going to see them again. And that can last for quite a long time, actually. People can get stuck in denial for a long time because shock comes with that as well. I know that's another part of the five stages, but the shock and the denial of losing somebody is its just so hard to get your head around. I remember when I found out about my brother. Yeah. It was, I couldn't, I think it was not until after the funeral that I was able to accept that he wasn't coming back.
0: But is denial also, or this might be something else, is denial also when you know, you're like driving and then you think, oh, I must tell so-and-so this. Is that denial or is that just, that's not forgetting, is it?
1: I wouldn't say that's denial. That's just,
0: triggers that's
1: living in hope. Triggers, living in hope, thinking, and then just for a, for a second, you think, oh, I'll just pick up the phone and I'll ring whoever it is that you've lost. And then, yeah. oh no, oh no, they're not here anymore. Our brain plays tricks on us, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, look, I mean, I still see things on TV and I'm in the other room because we had our own lounge areas and I see something on TV and I think, oh, I must tell Adrian that. And then I go, don't be stupid, Adrian's gone, you know. Um, But I, I think that's also acceptance, isn't it? Because in some way maybe your brain's not accepting what's happened in your subconscious. You know, you know that that person's not there, but in your subconscious you're still thinking about what you would normally do.
1: Yeah, you're still thinking, oh, I'm going to ring that person. Oh, no, shit, I can't.
0: No, it's it's, it's okay, Karen, you can swear on here. (laughs) (laughs) Karen just looked at me a bit shocked after she said the word shit, but that's okay. (laughs) Yeah, look, denial... I guess, you know, from my point of view, when Adrian was very sick, you know, the doctors had told him and he told us how long they thought he had. And it felt to me that he was still in denial of what was happening because he'd say, oh, you know, I've got another year or another two years. And you think, well, no, you don't. But then he told me one day, he said, look, it's easier for me to be okay with what's happening if I don't have a date of when it's happening. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess this is probably the same for a lot of people who find out they've got terminal cancer. He was 15 months from diagnosis to when he passed. And it was only in those last couple of weeks that a couple of times I was talking to him and he said, oh, you know, I think I'm dying. And I go, look, maybe you are. I don't know. It might be today, tomorrow, the next day. We just don't know. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, look, I have no idea what it's like to face your own mortality and what's happening to you he was quite open and brave with the way he thought about things and one of the things was that he said was the biggest thing i have that i'm happy about is i won't see my parents die and i just yeah. thought wow that's you've really thought about what's happening because i don't know if that would even cross my mind but he had okay. thought out what was happening and you know he did have denial in the beginning we all had denial knowing that he was dying because this guy was a fit healthy guy it was at the gym yeah. five six days a week, and then all of a sudden he's being told the cancer from his neck has spread to his back, to his hip. He had a, a broken pelvis, and he still managed to get around on crutches. And then it spread up into his brain, and you know it was just like it's just horrendous, isn't it? Yeah, and to watch someone that you know and you care about going through all these different things, losing his hearing, losing part of his eyesight, it's yeah. it's a tragedy. Yeah. And even though we'd had that amount of time to prepare, knowing that this was going to happen, you still find that you go into the five stages of grief when it does happen. And, you know, it's not yeah. like you're prepared. Someone said to me, oh, but you must have been a bit more prepared. Yeah, you've got the idea it's happening, but you're not prepared for the amount of grief and emotion that's no. going to hit you as soon as it happens.
1: No, it's it's still hard because it's anticipatory grief, isn't it? That, yeah. that stage where- know that somebody's going to die but you still grieve it's it's still a process of grieving because you've still lost somebody regardless of whether you knew that they was going to die or what's coming it's it's still going to happen you can't escape it.
0: yeah well look i know when my dad passed away because that was only two years ago i remember driving to the hospital it was in the middle of the night we're in covid so there was covid restrictions at the hospital couldn't go there while he was sick but as soon as he died they wanted you to be there as soon as possible and we got there. <laughs> no, on the way, I had to pull over twice because I had to throw up. And then when yeah. we got to the hospital, I parked the car and I said, I've got to go to the toilet because I had to throw up again. And there was nothing yeah. to throw up, but it was just that grief of, oh my God, what's happening? Yeah. You know? And I think sometimes people listen to people like us talking on a podcast and feel like, you know, uh, no, not. I, I was going to say nothing bad happens to us because we always present well. But, you know, these things happen to everybody and just because we're okay talking about it doesn't mean that when we get off of the podcast or before we came on the podcast, we weren't thinking, you know, emotionally about these things.
1: Well, Exactly, yeah. I was trying to emotionally prepare myself for this. This is only the second time I've spoken about Michael, so it, it's, it's really hard speaking about it because it's only a year on. but. It normalises the grief process, I think, and sharing our own experiences as well with people as professionals, as counsellors, sharing that, that we do go through tough times as well. And it's not so easy, even though we've got the training and the skills there. We're human beings. We're not just counsellors. You're not just Daniel, a counsellor. I'm not just Karen, a counsellor. I'm a human being as well. And I've got feelings and I've got emotions and I struggle. And life is hard sometimes. And grief is very hard. What you were just saying there about when you was driving to the hospital to see your dad and you had to throw up, that took me back to when, Mike, when I first found out about Michael. I'd forgotten about this. And it knocked me off my feet initially. And then I threw up, went and threw up as yeah. well. Yeah, I've completely forgotten about that until you just mentioned it. And then for, I think for days after that as well, it it affected me, my stomach, so badly. And I was still throwing up. And you can't even describe
0: brief, can you, what it's like? No. Look, I would have never thought <clears throat> that that sort of thing would happen. I mean, I lost my sister 17 years ago, and that was awful because I was only 33 at the time and she was only 42 to breast cancer Mm. and I didn't throw up then but I think with my sister compared to my dad and I'm not saying one is better than the other but I think because my sister was young around my age and my sibling it affected me a lot more because you don't expect your brother or sister like you didn't expect Michael to go you don't no. expect them to be pulled out of the equation before your parents. So oh, when they don't. are pulled out of the equation, you sort of go, Oh my God, what's happened? And I don't know if you're younger or older than Michael, but when, De- when Debbie died when she was 42, so both myself and my sister, Amanda, we both, as we were getting to 42, were thinking, Fuck, are we going to die? Are we going to die? Is this what happens? You know? Yeah. And, and it didn't happen, but you still have that fear of what's, what might happen and you still carry yeah. the grief. You know, my sister affected me for at least 10 years before I became quite comfortable with getting on with life. You know, there were so many things around me that just triggered memories of her. And, you know, for my parents, what I did was every Christmas after she passed, I would find a photo in my photo album of her and blow it up and frame it and give it to them and say, look, yes. Debbie's still here for Christmas. Well, she wasn't, but it was just a nice symbol to keep remembering her and keep her alive in our own yeah.
1: life. Yeah, we'll still keep her there with you close by, even though none of you are ever going to forget her. Well, she's never going to escape your memory, but it's just nice to still have her there, like she's still present with yeah. you having her photograph there. It, it's kind of a comfort as well, isn't it?
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: And I, I bet it was a comfort for your parents too.
0: Look, it depends. Some Christmases, um, my dad would say, oh, what did you bring another one of these for? And it was because he knew he'd get emotional about it. And yeah. my dad was someone who, yes, he was upset when Debbie died. But after that, he never showed how upset he was. Yes. Yeah. And it's strange. I had a conversation with my mum probably about five years ago about Debbie. And she said, look, you know, none of us have really spoken to each other about it. And I said, well, because I knew that you and dad didn't want to speak about it. So I left you guys to do, and I went and spoke to my friends about it. But, you know, it's hard to, look, it's just hard to come to terms with it. I think that's the hardest part of grief is coming to terms and the acceptance of what has happened. And, you know, there's still anger years later, you know. I mean, with Adrian, I still feel angry that this guy who was fit and healthy Got something and just died, you know? It's like, why? Why? Yeah. We, we never know those answers because it's just, just what happens.
1: Just so it's, it's terrible, isn't it, when someone so young dies and that's where the anger comes from? Because I remember I had a friend as well that died of cancer. He was only 50. 15. And he was so full of 50. Right. He was so full of life and he was riddled with cancer by the end of it and it's just so upsetting to see them deteriorate before your very eyes and what cancer does to the body and
0: oh yeah
1: it's terrible
0: that's grief is terrible that's one of the worst things is seeing them in that position yeah but look we should get back on to how we're dealing with grief because it's good what we've just spoken about but i guess people are here to find out ways to deal with their grief not here I mean, it's good that they hear our stories and, and can probably relate to it. We, we do have some tips and things around the five stages of grief. Yeah. Was there any more to say about denial?
1: No, I think we've pretty <clears> much covered it. What I would say, though, about denial is when we first find out about someone that's died, the loss of a loved one, I think that denial is there to protect us from all the overwhelming emotions that we feel that hit us at that time. So we, th- we we say, no, no, this isn't happening. It It's not true. It's not real. And because it's the amount of emotions that hit you is so, so overwhelming. And it's really hard to deal with, isn't it? It's really consuming.
0: Yeah. I, and, I, I like that, what you just said, because, yeah, that that is a good reason why we're hit with denial, because, yeah, It's almost like an avalanche, isn't it, of emotion um, when it happens. And uh, uh, I remember calling people after I'd been called by Adrian's father to say Adrian had passed away. It was early hours of a Sunday morning. And calling people and telling them and, you know, trying to hold it together to tell them and just bursting into tears while I'm talking and, you know. That as well, having to tell
1: people and then, Hold their sadness and their grief in your hands as well when you're you're trying to deal with your own stuff yeah let alone somebody else's that's that's got to be another really really difficult part of losing someone and then having to make those phone calls speak to people face to face spread the bad news it's when you you're just about coping yourself
0: yeah i think um You know, we were luckier when we were, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight years old. And, you know, we were sad when someone died, but we didn't actually understand the full capacity of what was happening. So we were able to bounce back quite easily. But as you Um, get older, it's not so easy to come through it.
1: No, it's not easy. Grief is the hardest thing I've ever been through. And I've been through stuff in my life. and But that is the hardest I've been through and be able to pull myself out of it as well
0: look what I also realized when I was reading through everything today I had a real loss of interest in anything like I just wasn't you know I went to work I liked work I've started recording podcasts again and I sort of started recording the podcast again because I needed something to fill the void of looking after someone mm-hmm. and also I, I sort of get my self-care from having these sort of conversations But the loss of interest, the loss of passion for anything, you know, I haven't had that before, but I'd be happy to sit in the chair for a couple of hours, not doing much, but watching crappy TV, whereas there's usually things I want to do around the house or go out and do things. And it was like a feeling of being stuck. And also, what's the point? What's the point in carrying on? Because, you know, I'm of a similar age to Adrian. You're close behind me and feeling like, well, if we do stuff, what's the point, you know? Maybe yeah. I've got twenty years left, thirty years, maybe ten. Why why bother doing anything? You know, if this could happen.
1: Yeah. And that that sounds like the stage of depression in the five stages and how we feel like stuck. What's the point in going on? What's the point in my existence? Why am I here? And you just feel completely overwhelmed by everything yeah. that's happened to you and you just think, I don't see the point in anything. And As well, I experienced numbness. Yeah, I felt completely numb and I I didn't want to do anything. Like you said, you've lost your passion. You've lost your mojo. I didn't want to do anything. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want to speak to anyone on the phone, by text message. I didn't want to see anybody. I completely went inwards on myself and I blocked the world out. And that is a normal part of grief because we feel so lost and we think, What's the point in this? What's the point in life? If this is going to happen to someone that we love, then what's to say it's not going to happen to somebody else that we love? What's to, what's or to, to us? say it's not going to happen to us? Yet? Yeah. We and just the other
0: thing know. I found, like you just said there, about not wanting to talk to people, I found that I didn't want to talk to people because I knew that people would be going, how are you going? What's gone yes. wrong? How do you feel about it? All those questions that you've just answered yes. in the last phone call you had. And you just feel like saying, I just don't want to talk about this anymore. You know, I'm trying to deal with it. And every conversation I have is those three questions. How are you doing? How are you feeling? Are you okay? Yeah, I'm okay, but not okay. I'm
1: okay, but just leave me alone because I don't want to talk about it anymore because I'm already thinking about it. It's already in my head 24-7. Yeah. And talking about it is not going to help me. It's not going to change anything. Yeah. And that's That again is where people do not understand what grief is like and they've never experienced it. I find a lot of people that have not been through a really deep, significant loss that they just, we'd rather just have someone be there and just sit with us and not say anything, just yeah. be there with us or yeah. come around and bring us some nice food or just do something for us. We don't want to talk about it because it's not going to take the pain away. It's not going to make us feel better by talking about it. In those early stages, I find, anyway. Just leave it be.
0: Just saying about those conversations, not wanting to talk to people, that's probably the anger stage, isn't it? Because I'm angry and I don't really want to talk to people about what's happened and everything's annoying me because I'm angry that this has happened to the person.
1: Yeah. Everything annoys you. People out in the street laughing, people carrying on about their day I remember thinking to myself, do you not know what I'm going through right now? Do you not know that my brother's died and what pain I'm in? And you're laughing and going about your life, everyday life, and not even thinking about what I'm going through. Complete strangers I'm thinking is, I, I felt like I was going crazy sometimes in my grief. Yeah. It really felt like I was going insane. There come to a point where I thought, I need to get some help here because if I don't get some help, I'm going to remain stuck in these feelings of being overwhelmed angry I was angrier than I've ever been in my entire life with everyone in the supermarket if I went to the supermarket because I didn't really do anything apart from go food shopping or take my mum to appointments because she had to go to appointments road rage road rage was terrible it was just and I could not control it whatsoever yeah. And that was the worst part. And I thought, I need to get some help here because this is dangerous. The road I'm going down is dangerous. And if I get stuck here, what, what's going to happen to me? I was doing nothing. I didn't want to do anything. And it took me a, a good year to come out of that place and to be where I am today. Why do you think? And so I reached out and I got counselling.
0: Yeah. And why do you think then that one of the five stages of grief isn't overwhelm? Because we all feel so overwhelmed with not only what's just happened, what we've got to do next. Um, You know, there's all the funeral plans and stuff to do. There's all the people that you've got to call and tell. So overwhelm, to me, feels like it should be in there somewhere in grief. Because we are so overwhelmed and also processing what happened before.
1: Yeah. Overwhelmed, yeah. Overwhelmed with grief, overwhelmed with sadness, overwhelmed with Too many emotions hitting you, and they hit you like a a big wave, don't they? The emotions. Overwhelmed with people checking in on you, like what you just said as well, in your face all the time, ringing you. Overwhelmed by just doing the tiniest little bit of housework, the tiniest task in your house. Anything you've got to do is like, oh, gosh, I can't do this. I just can't do it. Everything seems
0: too much. Well, that's going back to what we were saying before. What's the point? It feels like that, doesn't it? What's the point in cleaning, doing the vacuuming? What's the point in doing the washing? You know, I might not be here tomorrow. And and that that feeling of not being here the next day or the next week or the next year, you know, that really does sit with you for a while. And it takes you a while to go, actually, no, this this probably won't happen to me. And Mm -hmm. I'm just presuming it because of what I've just been through. Like yeah. I said before, with my sister Debbie, both my sister and I feeling like at forty two we were going to die because that was what we'd learned. The, you know Deb died yeah. at forty two, so maybe that's what's going to happen to us too.
1: Yeah, and when you re- reached your sister's age, and you and then you are thinking, I bet you was thinking as well, I am the same age as what Deb was. Yeah, and now what's going to happen? Now I am going to be older than Debbie. Yeah, Deb. Yeah, as well, all sorts of things must have aroused your emotions there when you reached the age of 42. Did you find it was quite overwhelming as well?
0: Getting to 42? Yeah. Yeah, look, as we approached 42, I know that I felt a lot better a few weeks after that. You know, people say about having their 40th and, you know, before they turn 40, oh, I'm going to turn 40, oh, I'm scared, or I'm going to turn 50, oh, I'm scared. But for me, it was turning 42. It was like, well, that happened to Debbie. Maybe something like that yes. will happen to me. Yeah. And once we got over that milestone, then we were a lot more comfortable with that.
1: And what about Mandy? Was she, did she experience the same sort of thing as well?
0: Yeah, she did. She um, At 42, she thought, oh, my God. And look, it's funny because talking to my mum today, my mum's nearly 83 and she was saying to me, oh, I don't know how long I've got left. Every day is a blessing. And I go, mum, you know, you could have another 10 years. And she goes, oh, well, your dad died at 84, so maybe I'll only get to there. And I'm like, well, mum, you well, might no. only get to there, but you might get further. And it's the same really? sort of thing as when my sister passed and we we're getting to 42. You know, I yeah. guess the older you get, the more you think, will I be here the next day? Uh,
1: especially when you get older. Yeah. Your mum's like, she can understand why she's thinking that, can't you? Yeah especially with everything she's been through recently as well.
0: Yeah, heaps. Yeah, so last year was a lot of grief with all the things that were going wrong for mum, you know. We were processing that, bargaining, you know. Oh, please let mum be okay. Yeah. Because a couple of the operate well, one operation she had, they said to us, look, there's not much chance she's going to make it through, but if she doesn't Uh, go through it, she's going to be sitting in a wheelchair for the rest of her life. So she had to go through that thing, and all night we were like, come on, please get her through, please get her through. I'll do anything if you get her through. And I'm not yeah. I'm not I'm not a believer and I'm not a disbeliever, but at those times you go, if there is a God, please help her.
1: Yeah, please God. Yeah. Absolutely. And that as well, you was that that's a part of grief as well, what you was going through last year with your mum, because you're preparing yourself for the worst of what's gonna happen. So you're preparing yourself for that grief and what may have happened. You may have lost your mum, I remember that.
0: Yeah, well, look, I mean, the hospital said to us that they were 99% sure that mum had terminal cancer. And so for the next three months, we were preparing for mum to pass. Yeah, because that's what we were told. So we were taking time off work, we were doing everything for her. And then when she fell over and broke her hip and went into hospital, after she had the operation for her hip that we'd been told she probably won't make it through the surgery... A couple of days later, they said, oh, and your mum doesn't have cancer. And I'm like, what? Really? And they're like, oh, no, the test we did, we said unless we did a biopsy, it wouldn't be 100%. But then you've got yeah. all that anger afterwards because you've been thinking that your mum's not going to be here. So you yeah. prepare yourself for what's going to happen. And then all of a sudden it changes.
1: Yeah. He was ready for her to be going sooner than he thought. Yeah. And then to be told that. I can imagine how angry angry he was, but relieved at the same time.
0: Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. I, yeah. I think we've touched on the first fall now because we've talked about the depression of what happens when when someone passes and the grief that goes with it. Yeah. And how bad you feel. And, and there is that cloud over you of, you know, why did this happen? Well, no, why did it? It's denial, isn't it? Depression is, um, you know, I can't deal with this, um, you know, it's too much. It's the overwhelm, isn't it? So maybe the depression and the overwhelm go together because that overwhelming feeling of not being able to move forward. Well, yeah, depression is loss of interest in things, feeling stuck, not wanting to try new things, not wanting to do things. So Um, yeah, the depression, you know, that's coming. So acceptance, how do we go with acceptance?
1: Oh, that's, that's a tricky one because it, it's different for everybody, isn't it? Some people take years to accept that somebody's gone. Yeah, it's it's a tricky one. Being able to sit in a place where you've accepted that they've gone, but it, you never get over it. You never get over the loss of somebody. So it's hard to really say if you really ever fully accept that that person's gone. I suppose being sitting with the comfortable feeling of moving on with your life and being able to do things. Eventually, at some point, I suppose that's acceptance, isn't it, when you start living again? Yeah,
0: yeah, it is. And look, I because I grew up in England till I was eleven and then we moved here to Australia. You know, when someone died in the UK and I'd go back on a holiday, it wasn't until you went on the holiday and you went to the crematorium or the cemetery that it actually like set it in your head that that person was gone. So yeah. it was almost like there was no acceptance until you got there because you just presumed they were still alive in England even though you knew they were gone and then you'd get there on a yeah. holiday and you'd go, of well, these people are actually all gone and I'll need to take That's... flowers and, you know, acceptance right. is really hard. And I guess I know after Debbie died, I used to have dreams of, you know, seeing her in my auntie's lounge room or talking to her in the street and, you know, I'd wake up and go, oh, God, oh, gosh, she's not dead, she's not dead. And then I go, oh, no, it was a dream. So, you know, I guess that's still in your subconscious you haven't accepted it, even if in your reality you sort of know it's true. It's,
1: It's really, really difficult, isn't it, to try and move on with your life without Deb, without your dad, without Adrian, without Michael. But then you can't stay stuck. You've got to try and the best you can to move on and live your life because otherwise what's the point in us even being here if we don't even try to live a life and flourish and do things?
0: And I guess for people who are listening, yes, you do get through these things. Uh, You do make small steps that change and that give you uh, the inclination to keep moving forward and it doesn't mean you forget but it means that you've learned how to cope. So coping strategies how to deal with what's happened. And for you, you said, you know, like it took you six months to when you saw a counsellor, but making that decision to see a counsellor was what actually helped you to be able to turn things around, I guess, and be able to accept things. Yeah. Because we can all accept in the end, um, and it doesn't mean we accept and forget. It means we accept and we become who we are then with what we've learned, what we've been through. And how we now cope with each day.
1: Yeah, and I'll I'll never be the same as what I've never been the same, Karen, as what I was before Michael died. I'm a different person now, but that's all right. Yeah, because I realised how strong I was to get through that. And we're as human beings, we are so resilient, and we can get through tough times. We're made of strong stuff, and we really can get through it. Sometimes we need that extra support to get through it. And that's why people like me and you are here.
0: Yeah, exactly. To help
1: people through those tough times because we can't always do it alone. Sometimes we need the push. We need the help to get through it. And when you realize you do it, it's okay to reach out for help. It's okay to ask for help. Because in grief, you sometimes you can't talk to close family members, like what you were saying about pictures of Deb at Christmas and your dad and your family not talking about it because it was so hard for all of you. Sometimes you can't talk to family. Sometimes you can't talk to friends because they don't understand what it's like or how hard grief is. So speaking to a professional is sometimes the best option for you and they are trained and they'll get you through it. like the best counsellor when I, when I reached out for help and she really, really challenged me and got me through the most difficult, period in my life and i would recommend grief counseling to anybody because it will help you move forward it really will you don't want to stay stuck in your grief
0: no if, if you're not able to do it yourself then and especially i guess if you're stuck in the anger or depressing depression stages they're ones where you should really go and get help because if you're being angry with other people or if you're feeling like you can't even get up and go out then you really need Mm. to go and seek some help. Um, You know, Karen's got a really good page on Instagram, which is called KG Counselling, and she does daily updates, which are positive. Some make you think. Some are a little bit sad. Uh, She's also on Facebook. Do you have a website now? No, not yet. Okay. I haven't
1: got a website yet. Still in the making.
0: All right. So find her on Instagram. Find her on Facebook. That's two places you can find her at KG Counselling. And, uh, she does answer your DMs as well. And, uh, look, I mean, Karen and I have been friends for about 18 months now and like, I'm truly blessed to have met Karen because a few things I've been through recently, especially Adrian and last year when I was going through the stuff with my mom and with Adrian being sick, you know, Karen was someone that I could always call and have a chat to, or just send a text message to. And, you know, there are lots of people like us out there on Instagram, on Facebook, I don't know where else you'd find people, but on social media. And we're not there necessarily to make money out of you. We're there to give you ideas, help you think things through, help you see things in different ways. And, uh, you know, if you want to go back and look at the lives on my page, which is um, uh, life underscore changes you underscore podcast. There's a couple of lives there with myself and Karen and the other one that was the five stages of grief and another one I can't remember what the other one was about. What were we talking about? Was it just general mental health? There's a few, actually. We've done three. Mental
1: Health Toolbox, wasn't it?
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, Mental Health Toolbox.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, with uh, Jennifer yeah, Strahika. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: It's brilliant talking to you, Karen. Thank you so much for coming on and talking about grief. I hope people get something out of it. I mean, while we've been talking about it, it sounds really interesting. And I hope that we've covered the five stages of grief enough and, We've shared our own personal journey so that people can understand that, you know, we, we've we got through things, haven't haven't 100% accepted them, but you are able to move through once you start looking at things.
1: Yeah. Just know that you can get through it and you will get through it. Yeah. If you need support, reach out for support.
0: All right, Karen. Absolute pleasure to speak to you finally on a podcast. We've been thinking about it for a while. So, uh, look, you have an absolutely great day in England and thank you for joining me on Life Changes You.
1: Thank you. Thanks, Dan, for having me on. And I just want to say as well that you've also been a tremendous support to me over the past 18 months or so because you're a great friend and I'm so happy to have connected with you on Instagram. I don't know, I can't even remember how we crossed paths, but it's great to have because you will be a lifelong friend. So thank you so much for everything. And even though we do joke about quite a lot, you are a true gent
0: and you are lovely. Thank you. Well, I remember how I met you. I had met you from a couple of your posts and I said, do you want to come on Instagram and do a live with me? And it was the first live you ever did. And you could tell <laughs> in the first five minutes, it looked like you were going to have a heart attack. And then after that, you <laughs> calmed right down and got into it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. I was absolutely shitting my pants.
0: Right. Yeah. yeah. Look, I mean, look, it can be like that. The first couple you do and then after that, you just get so used to it that, you know, it's just easy. All right. Well, thank you, Karen. You have a great day. Thank you. Take care. Well, that was another episode of Life Changes You. If you liked it, please share it with your friends and share on social media and subscribe. Remember, you can follow us on Instagram and watch live conversations on Wednesdays and get daily updates. You can also follow the YouTube channel and watch live conversations and listen to the podcast from there. Keep sending in your emails and messages as I love reading them and interacting with you and I'll always respond to you. So until next week, take care of yourselves and each other.